0: Welcome to Agency Nation Radio, where insurance professionals turn on the mic and share unscripted stories about leadership, technology, marketing, success, and failures. The stories that helped them make them the professionals that they are today. Agency Nation Radio is presented by the big eye and trusted choice. I'm your host today, Jana Foster. I own Nevada Insurance Agency. Hosting with me today is my friend Jesse Connell. He's the owner and partner of Bridgemark Insurance Services. Jesse and I have known each other for many years and we volunteered together on the Big Eye Young Agents Committee. During that time, we balanced our career goals and agency ownership, volunteering in our communities and also in the insurance industry. Most importantly, being parents. Today, we're joined by Lori Mahalik levin Lori is a powerful voice in empowering and inspiring working parents to be their best selves, both at work and at home. She is the CEO and founder of The Mindful Return, a program that guides new parents through the transition back to work after maternity and paternity leave. Welcome everyone. Let's just dive in. Lori, can you share a bit of your journey on how you came to find the mindful return? What inspired you to focus on empowering us working parents?
1: Um, Thank you for the question, Jenna, and thank you and Jesse um, for having me on today. I'm so excited to have this conversation. So what inspired me was sheer desperation. Um, I have two wonderful redheaded boys who are now ages 10 and 12. But in a much earlier decade of my life, you know, about 10 years ago, um, I returned to work after parental leave, after baby number one was born and found it to be challenging for all the reasons, including one reason that he refused to take a bottle. And so the narrative I told myself was, if I go back to work, I'm going to starve him to death and then he's going to die, which is really not a helpful thing for a new mom to have swirling around her head. And um, it was hard, but I made it through. I went back to work full time. And then two years later, I had my second son and I was in a really dark place. I'm sure that I had some undiagnosed postpartum anxiety. I was looking around the internet, doing all the Googles for, you know, trying to figure out what resources I could use to help myself as a working parent. And I found some snarky advice on the internet for working parents, like, don't put a photo of your baby on your desk, or people might not take you seriously, or you might leak on your shirt if you're pumping. And I said, this is not helpful. Um, I found tons of helpful advice for baby, about baby, related to all things baby, how to puree baby food and massage your baby and make a birth plan and pump and all that stuff, which is great. We need that. But there was nothing super helpful about how to make the personal and professional identity transition to working parenthood. So really, I set out through Mindful Return to create what I wished had existed for myself when I returned to work after my two boys.
2: Well, I think that's awesome. And I obviously, a needed space with young professionals and professionals having little ones and trying to balance everything. I know for myself, we got three, not little ones anymore, but little-ish, I've got a sophomore, I've got a eighth grader, and I've got a fourth grader. And, okay. you know, we're super involved in athletics and super involved in the community. And, you know, the agency continues to keep growing faster and faster, adding employees. And it is a challenge. I think it's a challenge from the paternal side, too, of trying to be, not to steal your word, but mindful of mm-hmm. how to balance that. And then be the support of, from my side, husband, try to be the support of, of, yeah, we have these growth trajectories and where we want to go, but on the flip side, how do we balance all that? And, and it, it is a challenge. And I'm so excited about the conversation that we're already starting to have. Um, when you're balancing that career and being a parent, we know that it is a challenge. What strategies do parents employ t- to become more productive?
1: Mm, productivity, Jesse. Well, I have to go first to some really fantastic neuroscience research that comes out of Dr. Uh, Ruth Feldman at Yale Medical School. Dr. Feldman has discovered that the most neuroplastic your brain is in its entire human existence is in the one year following the birth of one's child. And that is true of both men and women, anyone who's actively engaged in the care of a child. So the first thing that I wanna set out there is that our brains develop and change in all sorts of amazing ways following the birth of our kids that increase some of the leadership skills like productivity and efficiency by virtue of having kids and having to manage all the things that it takes to keep them alive. So there are you know these career critical skills that we gain through parenthood that make us inevitably more efficient and effective. I think working parents are some of the most productive and efficient people I've ever met because we don't have time for all the nonsense, right? We are productivity ninjas. We know what needs to get done and we go do the thing. Um, I will note that I lived for a long time and still do a little bit. I'm a lawyer uh, in private practice. I was a partner in a big firm and I lived in billable hour world, right? Where suddenly the more efficient I became, the, the worse off I was doing at work because I was billing fewer hours because I got stuff done faster. So um, I can talk about productivity and I have a couple of uh, productivity tools and whatnot that we can we can chat through. And I want to say that like you're gaining productivity and efficiency skills by virtue of parenthood. So one thing is sleep. Like we all need solid amounts of sleep. And I think I would hi- highly prioritize that if you want to be an efficient person. Two uh, is The Pomodoro technique. Have you all heard of Pomodoro? It's a time management strategy um, that involves, it it was named after the Italian Pomodoro tomato. You You know those tomato timers that you find in the kitchen that go click, 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 click?
2: yeah.
1: Right, so you don't have to have one of those timers. You just have to have any timekeeping device. And what happens is you set it for 25 minutes and you pick one project and one project only and you turn off all the things that ding at you right? The, the emails and the phones and the da, da, da. And you do that one project for 25 minutes. And during the 25 minute period, when you think of something else that you maybe should be doing, oh, I forgot to check that email. Oh, I should maybe be ordering that thing on Amazon. You jot it down on a little note, and then you come back to the thing that you were meant to be doing. And then you take a five minute break, and then you come back and do what, as they call it, another Pomodoro. Now, the reason that this type of productivity uh, tool works is that it keeps us from having to litigate again and again and again what we should and shouldn't be doing. I use the Pomodoro technique at work, but I also use it at home. If the kitchen is a gigantic wreck and I don't feel like I want to spend the next hour and a half cleaning it up, you set the timer, 25 minutes or 10 minutes, whatever, say I'm going to work on it for this amount of time and then I'm going to move on. So there are specific strategies around productivity and efficiency and lessons from the time management world that we can incorporate into our working parent lives.
2: That's interesting. And I think about some of the stuff that you're doing at work or at home and you are, you, you try to uh, tackle everything at once. And somebody once told me how to eat an elephant. Well, it's one bite at a time. And it's kind of <laughs> kind of similar to that. Uh, yeah,
1: there, There's no rocket science, but it's just like, it's hard to focus on one thing for that long a period of time. But if you do, gosh, darn it. If uh, you don't get a whole ton done in that that short amount of 25 minutes.
2: Right, right. Well, I think that's a great strategy. And I think that's something that the listeners at Agency Nation can definitely, I mean, I'm going to find a timer. I'm going to get it done. <laughs> We're going to try to get, get it knocked out. Do the Pomodoro. Uh, the yeah. the
1: neuroscience, oh, just one quick thing. The neuroscience research says that the sort of best combination of this is three Pomodoros in a row with the breaks in between. And then stop. Like, don't do your whole day's worth of Pomodoros. It's not how our brains are meant to function. No. But I mean, my argument is if you do even one of these in a day, you'll feel way more efficient. Oh
2: especially with a squirrel brain, like myself, I, I would need I need, I need to have that dialed in a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Uh, speaking of squirrel brain, um, sometimes, you know, as parents, we struggle and and I know myself, I felt it have it some days of you're not all the way in, into the pool, fully committed at home or at work. You're having a chart hard time of just being present sometimes because of what we do have to juggle and everything like that. Um, with that comes that guilt, and you know, to maintain the productivity. How can we as parents manage the guilt and the productivity and career growth all at one time? And then I'm going to piggyback with what are some that te- some uh, sorry techniques that you found in your research to help parents remain present and working or sitting at a ball game.
1: Hmm. Um, okay. So you packed a lot into that question, Jesse, and I'm going to focus on. Uh, two pieces of it one piece is around the being present part and the second piece will be around the guilt okay so let's do some practices together on the, okay. the being present piece um yes it is hard uh to have our brain not going in a million directions but the first thing that i want to say is that that's just how our brains work right like they say the monkeys of our thoughts will keep jumping from tree to tree because that is what brains do.
2: So you're talking when to
1: you're, that guy, 100%. Yes, but, but, but it's also human, right? And some of them jump faster than others, but we all have the thoughts that jump around. And so to the extent you're beating yourself up going, oh, I can't get my brain to stop. It's okay, just show yourself some compassion because that's just what brains do. So the first thing that I want to advocate for is something called a centering practice. And it's a way to remind ourselves that We exist below our neck, right? And we can ground ourselves and remind ourselves that our bodies are actually there. When you are watching a professional athlete, they are very good at centering themselves in their bodies. If you've ever watched a baseball game and seen the outfield, all take one step in just right before every single pitch is thrown, that's them getting centered in their bodies. And we can do that too, even if we are corporate athletes or sitting in front of laptop athletes, right? Um, and the way that you do this, if, if I may, I will just do one with you right here. Absolutely. We can all sort of practice it. But the idea is like sit um, in a comfortable position and try to sit up tall in whatever chair you're sitting in. And the first thing you want to do is wiggle your toes um, and find your feet. We don't often remember to locate the other parts of our bodies, so... You know, my toes right now are in socks and they're touching the, the plastic that's under my chair. So think to yourself, what are your feet and your toes touching? And then what we're going to do is take a really deep breath in for a count of four and out for six. And we're going to lengthen our head and our neck and our spine while we're doing that. Pretend there's a string sort of pulling up through the top of your head. And I'm going to count with you. And the important thing is that the out breath is longer than the in breath because that is what helps to settle our nervous system and help us come back to the present. So we're gonna do this again, or not again, we're gonna do it uh, together. We're gonna go take a deep breath in, two, three, four, and out, two, three, four, five, six. One more time. In, two, three, four, and out, two three four five six and then just let your breath return to its normal pace if your eyes happen to close you can blink them open and wiggle your body around and just notice whether anything has shifted did your shoulders fall down slightly did your your um, mouth your jaw unclench a little bit and notice how long that took probably the same amount of time it takes you to scroll through your social media channels for 20 seconds right
2: absolutely yeah
1: yeah and so i'd sort of advocate that anytime you're you know about to i don't know go downstairs and break up a fight between two children who <laughs> that happens to have erupted <laughs> or you just got that email from a client that is really triggering and you want to fire a response back that you sit and you take that pause that brings you back to the present And I'll give one other sort of practice and tip for kids, a couple of ideas here around helping them to learn to stay in the present and centered. Um, My pediatrician taught us this one. It's the snow globe meditation. You take a snow globe and you shake it up and you tell them, tell me when you see the last flake of snow fall to the bottom of the snow globe, right? And we can do that too. You can get a snow globe for your desk. And anytime you're trying to get back to the- Christmas idea, Lori. Yeah, there you there you go. Um, there is also something called color meditation, right? Where you sit in the present moment and you look around and find all the things that are purple, all the things that are red. You can do this yourself. You can do that with your kid. It's just a way of re-engaging your senses. Okay. I'm going to pivot to the, the guilt piece. We could probably spend a couple of hours talking about the guilt piece. Um, a couple of things. One, I think it's important to be aware of when you're having the guilt and almost say, Oh, sweetie. Oh, guilt. I see you. You are here. It's okay. I get it. Because when we acknowledge the guilt and sort of welcome it in, it often moves on faster. Um, In terms of a reframe, when you find yourself saying, I feel guilty because I feel guilty because I have to stay late tonight and I can't go pick up my kid, or I feel guilty that I can't be at the office right now because my kid has a doctor's appointment and I need to be here. Change the language in your head from I feel guilty because to I made this decision because I made this decision to be here with my kid at the doctors because it's really important to them that I'm there for this. I made this decision to stay late at work tonight because my team needs me and my kid is gonna be fine. So reframing the language helps. Um, I also have recently in my uh, reading and research been introduced to a wonderful concept called guilt tolerance, which is uh, Dr. Pooja Lakshman talks about it in her book called Real Self-Care is that we need to learn to build up our tolerance for feeling guilty. Because a lot of the time, as she says, guilt is a faulty check engine light. You know, when your your car, you go to the, to the shop and you're like, the, the light came on and they're like, yeah, it just does that. But there's nothing actually wrong. No big deal, right? No big deal. There's we don't need to fix anything. Same thing for guilt. Often society has told us that we're supposed to feel guilty about X or our cultural norms have or our, our, our own brains offer us those thoughts that we're supposed to be feeling guilty. And in reality, There have been no moral failings on our part. We have done absolutely nothing wrong. It is the faulty check engine light. So I think we just need to step back and sort of question when the guilt is there, whether it actually deserves to be there or not.
2: So I've got something to run by it because it's happened to me on Tuesday. So we've got three kids, We two parents. We play zone defense. We can't play man to man because there's three versus two. And I had one daughter that was 110 miles to the east. I had one daughter, 110 miles to the south. And then I had little man that had his Christmas car, Thanksgiving concert. Uh-huh. And so I chose as a parenting group, we chose, I did oral interpret, watched one daughter. I could have driven three hours and made it on time to go watch the basketball game. I literally mm-hmm. te- texted my wife, Katie, and said, I'm having dad guilt right now. Like, I know I mm-hmm. could make it. But I, I don't, I, I know I can make it. I know I'd enjoy it. But now that we're talking six hours of drive time and I just yeah. can't get it done. And I, I talked to Pacey about it, who would be my middle daughter, and she's like, it's fine, dad. You'll be at the other, the next one. But yeah. on, the, on the other hand, I don't know if that was enough satisfaction for me de- dealing with my dad guilt. And I know Jan and mm-hmm. I have talked about this, at various big guy things, where we're doing better for the association but we know these activities are going on. So, mm-hmm. in, in my little minute scenario, how do I get, how can I move past for 24 hours not having that dad go? Just change my mindset a little bit, just like you were discussing?
1: Yeah, I think so. It's also, I like to remind myself that I am teaching my children what it means to be human. And what it means to be human is that you cannot do all the things all the time. That's amazing.
2: I like that. I never even thought about that.
1: (laughs) And you're teaching your daughter perhaps how to be a saner parent, right? If you drove those six hours and then you were a gigantic mess the next day, What is that teaching her that we should drive ourselves to the ends of the earth for our children just to kill ourselves so that we are grumpy messes? No, I mean, emotions are contagious within a household. And so to the extent you can tell yourself by not driving for these six hours, I'm going to be a calmer, more present dad with her when she is here. You know, that's a lesson that you can teach her both out loud and in your own head. Um, about why you chose the decision you made, right?
2: You may not believe me, but I got a little bit of goosebump on that. Cause it's true. Mm. Cause we, <laughs> we, we fight, we fight with that as we're very active parents and a very active family. And it, there is times where I'm just like, we are, this is too nuts. This isn't mm. the right way of doing things. And the perception of that, of you are teaching your kids of how to stand on their own two feet too, so to speak. So I appreciate yeah, that. Watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I love that, Jesse, too. And I think something that I took from that is having the kids be old enough to where you can have that conversation with them. You know, they understand, they see emotion, they feel emotion. And so they get it. And I think the more open we are with our kids about, you know, hey, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm really rooting for you. And thank God for technology that we can, you know, pop them a text and maybe get that FaceTime from your wife during the basketball game. I think that's really important. Jesse and I are in the same boat. Um, I also have a sophomore and a seventh grader, two girls, um, very involved in basketball, swimming. And I am actually the cross country and track coach as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Full plate. I always tell people I'm a part-time Uber, although I don't get paid. Um, I think I should have a five-star rating. (laughs) (laughs) You'd hope so, right? I'd hope so, right? I'm always on time. Um, You should have a six-star rating, Jen. That's right. (laughs) Um, but family owned business, um, so same you know, agency owner, and it's actually a family business, so um, in business with my two brothers. And so we learn a lot about the family dynamics. They obviously have kids as well. so seven kids in between all of us and and trying to do it all. Um, I think that anybody listening to this podcast is going to want to hear some of this work life balance. We talk about it all the time. It's a constant discussion for working parents. Um, So Lori, what are some of the key principles or strategies that can help these parents achieve a better balance between their personal and professional lives? Um, How can we create more meaningful and fulfilling lives with our children and in our profession?
1: Mm, Great question. And I'll start off with the premise that I hate the word work life balance. I know, that that is, I know that that is the word that people have a common understanding about and sort of anchor to. But, um, you know, I'd prefer to just call it life because, you know, work is actually part of life in general. But I I'll stay away from just calling it life because it's a little too generic. And instead, I want to steer us over toward Dr. Yael Schoenbrun's research. She's from Brown University, and she has written a lot and has a book um, that is called, I'm just going to grab it here, Work, Parent, Thrive, where she talks a lot about work-life enrichment. And she says that although work and the other things in life do compete for our finite resources, the psychologists who have studied work-life integration work-life balance have found that that time struggle is actually balanced by a host of gifts and the the fact is that work makes us better at the other parts of life and life makes us better at the other parts of work and the more that we can remember that the less stress we feel about how the things integrate so i am absolutely a better parent because I have professional interests and go do other things besides only focusing on my children. I am absolutely better at my job, not only with mindful return, but in my legal practice, because I stop every day at a certain time to take care of my children. And I navigate all of the wildness (laughs) that comes with their life. And so I think focusing on um, the fact that they enrich one another is, is really important. There's a A funny anecdote in her book where she talks about a researcher uh, who basically says that he's figured out the solution to work-life balance, which is um, you don't have to have balance if all you do is work. And so, you know, (laughs) when you put it in that way, you're like, but I don't want to only work 24-7. I want to have these other things in life. So there's an inevitable tension and that's just how it is. The other thing that I'll say is that um, my husband and I have adopted some practices that really do help us to have calmer, richer lives. And one of those uh, practices is a weekly meeting that we call the Saturday basket meeting on Saturday evenings. And it started off because my children were little, daycare was like Petri dish world for germs and somebody (laughs) was always getting sick. And we said to ourselves, okay, so we know probably that this week, one day, somebody's probably gonna have to stay home or not do what we had planned. So who is on point when things go awry on which day? And so every Saturday night, we started sitting down and mapping out whose job is more important at which hour on which day. So if the call comes on Tuesday afternoon, that's you. But if it comes on Wednesday morning, that's me, for example. And we, we put this basket on top of our microwave and we decided that we were going to consolidate sort of all the life chaos that was happening during the week that we didn't want to deal with from Monday through Friday. I've been calling it the detritus of life, like the permission slips that need to fil- be filled out and the bills that need to be paid. We put it all in one place and create a parking lot for it. So we don't even think about it from Monday to Friday, Saturday night, hot date on the couch, <laughs> we sit down with the basket and we sort of go through our list of mapping out the calendar and doing the permission slips and all that stuff. And, you know, one of the things that you can build into this weekly practice is a review of just mindful moments from the week. What did you forget to tell your partner? It was actually a really sweet moment you had in the car with your kid that you, would like to share, but you just had completely forgotten about and find sort of a holding spot or a parking spot for that. So that's just one practice that has served us as a couple remarkably well over the past decade. I suspect like we probably wouldn't be married if we didn't have the Saturday meeting every week. Like It's just (laughs) a really important uh, touch base for us on a regular basis.
2: What and to kind of piggyback that off of that, you mentioned that you have a I don't know if it's a hard stop, but a stop time on your professional life, then you move into family life. And I think that's one of the hardest things in our industry or or most professional industries. Of you know, I think there's an expectation if you're going to get work done, you've got to put in the hours, and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and I think there's some. In my opinion, I think it's a misconception, but what are some common misconceptions or myths about productivity for working parents on on that piece of it? And how can these be debunked?
1: Yeah. Um, So the the first thing I'll say is that for the bulk of my working parent life, I have worked what is referred to as the split shift, where I stop at a certain time to go do all the bed, bath, uh, dinner stuff. And then I do get back online, and I suspect that that is a fairly common um, strategy. Um, and I you know, do have a very hard boundary right now. It's at 10.30 p.m. where I go to bed no matter what, and I shut down the, the split shift uh, and return to work the following day. And I have some practices around that. That shutdown to make sure I'm turning off and not like going and doom scrolling, for example. I think one myth that's out there is that parents make amazing multitaskers. And I want to debunk the myth that multitasking makes us more efficient and productive. Um, there's a, a wonderful uh, time management uh, coach who talks about the fact that we can multitask the mindless, but we cannot multitask the mindful. And what we think is that when we're like both writing an email and trying to respond to our kid and working on a PowerPoint project all at the same time and trying to handle a client email and we're trying to do all those things at the same time, we think we're being super productive by doing them all at once. And in fact, it slows us down by more than 30% whenever we are doing more than one mind related task at the same time. We can, however, very efficiently multitask the mindless. So you know, we can unload the dishwasher while having a client call. We can uh, fold the clothes while reviewing a document, right? But those things that require muscle memory and don't require necessarily our brains. So I'd say multitasking is one thing to debunk. Um, the other thing that I think I want to really put a stake in the ground on is debunking the idea that gen- uh, that caregiving has to be gendered and that um, dads don't really have a role in the early years of childcare and caregiving that, you know, it is somehow a vacation whenever a father takes parental leave. What we have found is that, um, fathers who take time off upon the birth of their child, um, their wives, their partners end up having more successful careers. They end up being more engaged in the lives of their children. And um, the division of labor in the household is often more equally balanced. And so, um, if there's, you know, one soapbox I can get on right now, it's that organizations really need to encourage their dads to take parental leave if we want true gender equality in our society. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's great advice. I like the debunking. (laughs) Um, So as an agency owner, Jesse is too. Um, obviously, we have employees that are also in the same boat as us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so when we're taken off early to go to a game, they're one of our employees is is wanting to do the same thing i'm sure. um so how do we create an agency uh culture that's welcoming to these great employees that are parents? how can we support their productivity and the well-being of parents? and on the flip of that, how can we as working parents communicate their, you know, our needs effectively if if that's something that we need to do? do you have any tips for for that?
1: yeah, um i mean i love first of all that as owners, as the leaders, you're articulating this and focusing on it, because I think it really is the leadership of any organization that really sets the tone for how people will feel and whether they'll feel welcomed in a particular setting. I will share um, a story where I was not feeling particularly welcome when uh, the pand- pandemic had just hit. we had all been sent home. It was like a month in... <laughs> It felt like 10 years and it was only a month that we were at home with our children and we were then home for 15 straight months. So it was really at the beginning. Um, but the a leader in the partner of the global law firm where I worked got on the line and said, and I quote, now that everyone has more time because you don't have to commute, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, you have no idea what's going on in my household right now. And so I think um, the fact that you are leaders who are tuned into this is already amazing and that you have the lived experience means that the people who you work with are going to be met with empathy and compassion already. I think it's important for leaders to have a mindset that um, a couple of things. One, that working parents, they're, they're in this for the long haul, right? Like this is this is life. This is um, if you are showing them empathy and compassion, they will be very loyal and responsive to you and to the, the needs of, of your clients over time. Um, And I think you hit on it, Jenna, when you were talking about communication, right? It's really about leadership saying things out loud that normalize the working parent experience, that normalize the conversation. And, um, you know, I've learned that when having critical conversations with people, it's really helpful and important to start with shared commitments. So you can start a conversation with an employee by saying, like, look, we are both really committed to our families and we're really committed to making sure that our clients get serviced in the way that they need to. And then everybody can get on the same page uh, with that communication.
0: Right. And I think that just has to do with when you're, you know, when you're here, you're present. When you're with their your kids, you know, be present as well. But I never want somebody to miss a, you know, school function or or a game or anything like that. So it's nice to all be in the same boat, but I appreciate that tip.
1: Yeah, and tag teaming, right? Like mapping That's out right. who can cover when when the other person is out. Oh, one other thing I just wanted to add in terms of a mindset is to recognize that all of us, even if we do not have children, are in a potential situation of needing to be caregivers, right? Whether it's for an elderly relative or for ourselves if we get sick. And so I think we can help normalize the conversation around People who might feel that parents are getting some sort of extra bonus, like yes. you know, um, leniency, and say, "Look, you two may very well have to be in a situation where you're going to have to leave and go take care of things, whatever the reason." And I'm going to be supportive of that when that happens for you too.
2: That was exactly going to be my question, mm-hmm. I and, and, and I think it is a challenge of, you know, as we. Continue to grow and, and continue to bring on new team members. We are going to have babies, which I love having babies in the office. They're fun, fun to see and say, oh, and we're definitely out of that game anymore. And uh, I that's always been a not a challenge, but a question that I've had of, all right, we have a group of young parents that we want to have them to have, they 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 should have some freedom and spend some time with their families and they need to be able to be a good parental unit and take, take care of them. But on the flip side, you have those that don't have babies anymore or don't have kids that are active in the school. So, you know, is there a magic saying or a magic, this is not on the list, but is there something that we can do as agency owners, agency managers, leaders within our agencies, to help with that, so there doesn't, mm-hmm. so there isn't that like, well, so and so got to got to leave to go pick their kids up from school. I don't get to leave. I'm I'm here at my desk the whole time.
1: Mm, yeah, um, I think I'd anchor back to this idea of we believe in work life enrichment broadly, and if there is something that you need to leave for, Please, um, you know, let's talk about that because that matters to me too. Um, I'll tell a story that after I had my first baby, this was pre-COVID, and so people were like in the office all the time. And I had asked my supervisor if, for a trial period of six months, I could work from home on Fridays. So this was a big deal back in the day. And um, she agreed. And then I had a colleague who approached me and said, "I live an hour and a half away from the office. I can't believe you get to work from home one day a week, and I don't get to." And my question to her was have you ever asked and sort of articulated the need for yourself? And she was like, well, no. And I said, well, I don't know. It strikes me that our manager's sort of understanding. And she, the following week she went and asked and they gave her a work from home day as well. And so I think it's also a matter of just allowing everyone to understand that they too have the opportunity to ask for the flexibilities that they need in life, even if it's not related to a child.
2: I like it. I appreciate the answer on that because I, I know it's going to come up at some point. There's no yeah, and buts about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: you know, I think about the time when our kids were born and and you, you deal in trying to figure out where daycare and all that kind of stuff. And I know it's a tough transition um, beyond the daycare. And what are some common challenges and obstacles that parents face when returning to work after parental leave? And how can they navigate these transitions more smoothly?
1: Yeah. Um, so you say beyond daycare, but I have to pause and just recognize the massive daycare and childcare shortage that is going on in our country. I mean, not only is are there not enough caregivers, but it's ridiculously expensive, right? Um, and so... I think we can't gloss over that fact. I think something somewhere between 10 and 15% of all childcare positions disappeared permanently during the pandemic. And so when you're talking about that as a like fundamental reason why people are having trouble coming back to work, like it's real, it's a crisis. And this is a national problem that needs to be solved. Um, Beyond the childcare, Um, I think when people are coming back after parental leave, a lot of folks struggle with, I mean, we talked a little bit about the guilt, um, a lack of confidence. I hear all the time from new moms who say, well, you know, if they didn't really, if they were able to get through my leave and they didn't really need me while I was out, then like, maybe I'm not that important uh, on a team. Um, I'm tired. I'm waking up in the middle of the night can I be my best self? I'm not going to be able to give 100% in both places. And, you know, to that, I say, if you're giving 75% at home and 75% at work, that's already 150%. So that's not, you know, that's not human. Um, and, And I think one, in the mindful return world, we encourage people to focus on four themes as they are returning, sort of just to give them an anchor of like think about these four things and it's going to help you make a smooth return. One is a mindful mindset. So some of the practices we talked about earlier, two is working through the logistics, like figuring out, taking the, um, like a practice day before you go back into the office to figure out how the whole drop-off is going to work and, and phasing back into childcare so that, or phasing back into work and phasing into childcare so that it's not all 100% on the first day. Um, so logistics, The third piece is leadership and really encouraging people to think about the skills that they're gaining through parenthood that are really useful in their careers. And the fourth piece that I want to spend a moment on is community and making sure that they are finding other working parents who are going through the same thing at the same stage that they are. That's like what we specialize in at Mindful Return is bringing together people in cohorts who are going through the transition. And I focus on that because I think when you hear someone else who is maybe not even in your same industry or sector articulating the exact same fearful thoughts about working parenthood and about how they're going to make all this work and they'll never figure out how to have a career and sleep and have their children, whatever. And you hear other people articulate those and you see other people who are maybe a little further along who have figured some of this stuff out. I think it calms you down and helps inspire you that there are paths forward. So trying not to do this alone is my number one recommendation.
2: I love that. And then, you know, as as leaders within our agencies, you know, when we do have the situation where someone's coming back to work, how can we help with that transition? How what, what questions can we ask or how can we engage in that process for them to make sure that it's great for them?
1: Yeah, I love that question so much. Just the fact that you're asking it shows that you're you're caring about them. Um so I think the very first thing that I like to tell managers and leaders is to as as much as possible, avoid making assumptions about the person who's coming back, and instead ask questions. So, for example, um, we often see leaders who may be benevolently, maybe who for whatever reason say things like, "I'm not going to put them on that big project," or "I'm just going to keep them off of that client for now because I know they're just getting their sea legs," or "I'm not going to set them send them on the work trip." Maybe that person that was like the dream thing that they wanted to do next. Maybe they're inspired to keep going. Maybe the big work trip, they're gonna take their baby with them. There are lots of ways we can travel with baby or ship milk home or whatever. So not to count them out of things. Another tip I give managers, especially for new parents, but I think it's a helpful tip regardless uh, of who you're dealing with, is when you are delegating a task or asking someone if they can take something on, to give them a window of time to respond. So you might approach a working parent and say, Hey, I got this really cool thing. Do you want to take it? Take on this project, and the working parent gets the panic-stricken look in their eyes. And it might just be because they don't have daycare figured out for tomorrow when they need to, you know, be working on the project. But if you say to them, "I got this really cool thing. By two o'clock this afternoon, can you get back to me and tell me if this is something that you're interested? In, opportunity to go like move the chess pieces around a little bit and figure out what their their life might look like. Um, celebrate their return, right? Like. I mean, small little things that the law firm where I worked sent little gifts like it was a, a little spoon in a bowl at the six month mark. You know, it's just like a gesture to say, hey, I see what's happening in your life and I'm excited for you. Um, and, you know, it comes back to the mindset that like believe in them for the long haul. The return to work after parental leave is just a phase. Everybody's figuring it out. Um, I like to say that the return to work after leave is a process, not an event. View it as a year-long process. It's a year-long transition, and you'll help them get through it. You can say that out loud to them, and it will make a world of difference.
2: Basically, and I I like the fact that you're not setting expectations that you're going to be going 100% as soon as you show back up, and you can't. can't. I have, I have seen where that's not the case. So I think that's why this message needs to get out a little bit more.
1: Uh, 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 you can, uh, but it's not healthy or sustainable. Okay. Right. yes.
2: Yeah, and I, it, it made me think when you were talking about the work trip, uh, my youngest Kyler, he had four years of not sleeping. He had night terrors. So we're talking oh. zero sleep for mom and dad for four years. And oh we had a goodness. convention somewhere. And I literally woke up go went to class and then slept for eight hours to 10 hours a night. It was the best time ever. And at the time, our, our, uh, principal said, you sure you can go? Cause he knew Kyler wasn't sleeping. I was like, I am more oh, than, yes. you know, and we had <laughs> support we had my mother-in-law back to make sure that everybody was getting rest. So yeah, it, when you yeah. said that, it struck me as, yeah, you, you just never know what's going on. And so communication is important, um, yeah. on the, the future of work-life integration and how that looks and going forward, especially for working parents, uh, what advice would you offer to parents looking to thrive in this changing landscape, you know, down the road going forward?
1: Yeah. So um, I am hopeful and optimistic that, The quote unquote parenting out loud that we did during the pandemic because it was in our zoom screens and in our faces is something that will continue to be normal in the future and so I'd say that, to the extent we can just remember that that was a step forward that got taken in the pandemic. Um, I think that can be really helpful to sort of continue and keep in mind. I love what you were
0: saying before about when when Jesse was talking about a, a team member um, coming back into the fold. And those seem like such simple things, but often we forget. Ask questions and then take the time to listen. <laughs> so thank yes. you for that. I think that's going to be helpful for a lot of people. Um, yeah. So down here at the end of the year, November, I know for some people, some of those sports schedules may be a little bit lighter. Um, you know, holiday and family responsibilities tend to start to pick up. We got work parties. I know every other day, I feel like we have a school production happening. Something's going on with the school dress up days, the calendars fill up very quickly. Um, So I'm hoping that we can have some tactics or um, something that would help our parents to determine what their priorities are. As you said, we are productivity ninjas. So we're (laughs) about doing all the things. How do you prioritize um you know things that are important and if you have like a tool or an app that we could use to to help navigate that
1: yeah um so i find that if something gets put on the calendar it happens and so mm-hmm. putting the priorities on the calendar even if you normally wouldn't calendar something like spend 1 hour alone without any children attached to me that needs to go in the calendar put in the calendar make sure you're on the the Saturday basket list that my husband and I talk through, like our little agenda for the week is, has my husband gotten together with a friend over the past month? Or does he have a, a plan in the books for the next six weeks to see a guy buddy of his? Does Lori have a plan in the next six weeks to see a friend of hers? And then we put it in the calendar. So I think it's a, a little boring of an answer, but it's about like actually identifying the priority. And knowing that that's important to our mental health, and then getting it on the books. Monthly date night is another thing we talk about. You know, whenever we're uh, meeting on Saturday night, you're talking about the holidays. One tradition that my husband and I have every single December is that we take a whole day. That does not involve having our kids around, so we make sure it's a day when they're still in school or a childcare or wherever, and we have an annual planning meeting and we look at the whole next year holistically. And we especially pull up the school calendar or the daycare calendar. We look at you know where the different breaks are and we map out a bunch of things. The reason we started having that annual planning meeting was because one year, I think my kids were like, I don't know, 11 months and two years old. We took, I think, five trips to visit my in-laws. And we looked at ourselves and said, we just killed ourselves this past year. And that was not cool. And now we're exhausted and we don't bleh, we don't want to travel anymore. So we looked at the whole next year and we said, okay, we're going to go visit them three times. And then we mapped them out and we got in touch and we planned it out. And that sort of provided a framework for, you know, what the big things were that we were going to do that year. Um, During the annual planning meeting, we talk about money. We talk about, um, like, we pick out the dates that we're going to have somebody come and clean our house, like, which we do like once every other month because we spread them out. (laughs) Um, we you know talk about, you know does the car need service to this? or Like we sort of map out the big things that we know were gonna happen during the year. And I'm gonna go back to like boring, but so helpful to helping us live saner lives and identify what matters to us. Another thing that we do during the annual planning meeting is we do a word storm where we say like all the words that describe how the past year felt and all the words that describe how we want the next year to feel. And that sort of helps us anchor in what we want the next year to be about. Um, I have to put a plug in this podcast for the fourth grade national parks pass, which is um, a tool that any fourth grader in this country has access to where you um, you as a fourth grader and your whole family, whoever's riding with you in the car gets free access to all the national parks for the whole fourth grade year from September one through October 3rd, or through August 31st. And so when it was fourth grade year for my two boys, one of our priorities was going to see national parks. And so we built that into the plan for the year. So I think advanced planning is sort of where it's at.
0: That is awesome. And I absolutely love that plug. That's great. Um, So, no, I mean, I think that I've I've been trying to take some notes while we've been talking and listening. um, But I think kind of my takeaways are, you know, organization advanced planning. I think you just touched on that. Um, But the communication and listening piece are huge. Um, And I think at the end of the day giving yourself some grace. Um I it sounds like Jesse had to do that just recently. Um and also giving your your team members some grace as well, you know, we're not all perfect and I think the older that our kids get, the more that they they can understand that. My uh 7th grade daughter said to me today they had a school um production today for for Thanksgiving and being a 7th grader, she was she's a little old to be doing something like that, but the school decided to put them in anyway and she got up this morning and said, "Don't bother mom." don't bother coming mom. I only have three (laughs) lines anyway. (laughs) So I was kind of like, okay, sounds good. So it's great for me that I could stay at work and continue to be productive. And I knew that she wasn't upset that I was going to miss the production. So, um, Mm. I think it works out, but having that communication and being able to listen, um, you know, whether it's your team member, whether it's your child or your spouse, I think that's super important. Lori, you're awesome. We so appreciate you being here today and sharing all these tips and tricks with us. You're awesome. I'm sure we're going to have some follow-up questions, so we might have to have you on again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're so kind, Jenna. I loved our conversation. I'm always happy to come back.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Agency Nation Radio, powered by the Big Eye and Trusted Choice. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, make sure that you hit subscribe and give us five stars or leave us a review. And if you have a story for Agency Nation Radio, contact us at hello at agencynation.com.